Hey, what's happening, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Perkelhammer. So before I get into the intro, I want to make sure that uh, you guys can uh, can hear me because I know we had some uh, audio issues. So if somebody can uh, just uh, make the uh, affirmative thumbs up or whatnot in the chat, that would be awesome because I would hate to start and not be able to be heard. <laughs> so if you guys could let us know in terms of whether the audio was uh, working correctly in this live stream, that would be awesome. And uh, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that it uh, that it is working. Audio good. All right. Thanks, Greg D. So today, as you folks can see, I welcome back Dong Zhou from Acro Garden. What's up, Dong? Hi, how are you? It's good to be back. And uh, so Dong was on the show. Um, can you guys hear Dong? Let's say, give a thumbs up if you could hear Dong, please. That would, uh, that would be helpful. Um, so Dong was on the show back in July and quite frankly was a really big hit with you folks. So I, um, I really appreciate Dong's insights and honesty and his points of views through his scientific background. So he's good, good. All right, we can hear you, Dong. And, um, but Dong is doing us a huge solid tonight because he's agreed to come onto the show last minute since my scheduled guest, Chris Cap had a conflict. So Dong, I, you know, again, thank you, man, for, uh, for coming on the show and, and helping me out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you were like, uh, you, you were like just a treasure trove of information <laughs> the last time we had you on in July and uh oh, thank you i think you were like you were like a big hit so it just made sense for me to like reach out to you to see if you can uh come back onto the uh, the live stream but just for for folks that didn't see that episode and don't know dong i'm just going to give a little background for uh for to, to kind of uh get you people up to speed dong has a phd in chemistry and worked for several pharmaceutical companies in various therapeutic areas including anti-inflammatory cancer pain management anti-infectious diseases he developed his first interest in marine invertebrates when he was working as a postdoc at the university of virginia he's been in the aquarium hobby since he was in college and he got the saltwater into the saltwater hobby in 2004 after setting up his first marine fish tank for a nemo and after he discovered the boston reefer society were both members of the boston reefer society were both sponsors of the boston reefer society Big thumbs up to the Boston Reefer Society. Um, about 10 years ago, he co-founded his first company on drug discovery. Soon after that, he was able to combine his passion for coral and his experience in the pharmaceutical industry and co-founded a new company called EcoBioMarine. This company focused on aquaculture coral for drug discovery and bone grafting. His current company, AcroGarden Inc., was then founded to hold the intellectual properties and to study coral farming. AcroGarden is now Dong's primary focus. The company produces aquacultured coral, mainly SPS for the hobby. And let me tell you, I've been to Dong's place a few times, and he um, he knows how to friggin' grow SPS, folks. <laughs> and for those of you that have been there, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. He has got the touch. He's got the touch. But before we kind of get deep into this conversation with Doug, I want to thank the sponsors for the show, Bulk Resupply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate these companies supporting the live stream, and I also appreciate all you folks that have uh, tuned in in the past and tonight. 
Um, please hit that like button so more people can find the stream. Please subscribe to the channel if you don't mind. And as always, I encourage you folks to ask a lot of questions. Um, Oops. Post your <laughs> oh, we got kitty cat in the screen there. Yeah, the kitty cat. <laughs> and uh, post your comments in the uh, in the chat. Uh, that would be cool. Well, wow, that was a mouthful there, full, uh, there Dong. You, uh, you, you, you have a very impressive uh, background, but, uh, you know, again, we really, uh, I really appreciate you, you taking the time. I think it's fascinating that you have that science background and you've kind of melded it with this uh, passion for keeping SPS. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, I see we got a number of folks in the, uh, in the live stream that have uh, joined us, and thanks again, everybody, for uh, coming in tonight and, uh, you know, well, uh, we so Dong and I have been back and forth. Dong had a whole bunch of ideas in terms of some topics to talk about. I um, I, I threw a couple uh, of those topics uh, up the flagpole as well. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of um, start talking about certain things, but I think that uh, we'll pivot. If anybody has some good questions in the chat, that um, you know we uh, we need to address. So all right, Dong, let me um. Let me show, uh, well, actually, let's start off uh, with polyp extension. So that's a topic that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we're, uh, you know, is, is very near and dear to my heart because I had a recent experience with polyp extension. I, I rebooted my 187-gallon tank. I just planted a whole bunch of frags in that, uh, in that tank. But before I planted all these uh, frags in that tank, I, um, I had this... Um, Beautiful captive bred um, regal angelfish from Biota that I had in, in one of my frag tanks for about three months. It's a little guy, you know, about one and uh, one quarter inches long. So he was in the uh, in the display tank before I started planting frags, and then um, I planted the frags, and then uh, and and these were frags that had some serious polyp extension in the frag tank, which. Where, where the where the regal was in that frag tank, but the regal was hanging out underneath the frag racks. Well, this regal angelfish became very bold when I planted frags in the big display tank, and uh, took a liking to mm -hmm. uh, to all my frags. So I don't know. Uh, about a week after I I planted these frags, I noticed there was no polyp extension, and I was like, oh, I I uh, I'm a little bummed out. I. I I wonder what's going on. And, uh, of course, you know, I've got a live webcam on that uh, tank, and I was looking at the live webcam, and I was standing in front of the tank, and sure enough, this little guy was um, picking on these uh, on these frags. So my initial reaction was, i gotta, I got to get this thing out of there somehow. And, and fortunately, I was able to, to scoop it up in, 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 a, in a, a fish trap. And, uh, yeah, lo and behold, about uh, two or three days later, the, the frags, the polyps started reappearing. So, you know, this is a very long-winded way to get to the first topic and, and uh, my first question for you. But uh, how important is, you know, polyp extension for SPS? You know, is that mm -hmm. something that uh, if you've got a, a, a fish like that that's constantly nipping, is that not a good thing? Or if the polyps are out at night, is that, are those frags going to survive? Um, actually, that uh, what you have seen is a very common thing happening in the ocean. So um, many Acropora, well, uh, mostly that we are focused on Acropora here because that like uh, bird's nest and uh, Styrofora, they always have their polyps out. 
So uh, many agropora actually do not extend their polyp during daytime for the same reason. It's avoid predation. So at night, when the fish are sleeping and then uh, the plankton from the deep water started rising up, so um, then agropora open up to feed. So this is very common when, when they, there's a predator around and then you just take several pack for that fish on the coral. The coral realize, oh no, that is, um, uh, they have to retract their polyp. So it's a very common thing. But keep in mind that uh, if the angelfish are not sleeping at night or they wake up in the phone, some reason say, hey, let's just have some fun and start packing your coral at night, that is a big problem. So basically, I won't consider that angelfish is uh, SPS or Acropora safe. So uh, it doesn't require a lot of picking. It's just a, uh, the fish pack the coral several times uh, a day, and that will cause that polyp extension. But now, the polyp extension is really not what you should concern about. Is what you should concern about is the stress yeah. that caused by the fish. So when the polyp is, is retracted, there's several reasons for it. One, well, in your case, is because there's a predator. They're stressed out, so they retract their polyp. So they definitely affect the photosynthesis, uh, affect the whole, uh, well, the mentality of the coral. Well, they're animals. So uh, my suggestion is that, of course, that no matter how beautiful that fish is, it probably belongs to his own aquarium, maybe like a fish-only tank. Now, when we come back to the polyp extension, there's a uh, first thing I want to uh, share. Uh, actually, I need to get rid of this uh, warning sign on the phone. Okay, now it's all set. <laughs> yeah, what was, that war- <laughs> what was that warning sign again? You told uh, me I was... The warning sign saying that Keith is using a device that could record or broadcast his call. Oh, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep, here we go. It's correct. Uh, <laughs> yep. Um, the funny thing is that about... Uh, well, the, go back to the, the, the topic is that... Uh, the primary rule of this uh, invertebrate in the ocean. If they do not need to spend the energy of doing something, they do not do it. That is because in the ocean, nutrient is very poor. That means the energy is very precious. The food uh, availability is low. So that is why for coral, if they do not need to do something, they don't do it. Because anything that they do, cost them energies. For example, polyp extension. When polyp, when the coral extends the polyp, it actually costs them a lot of energy to do so. Now, when you come back to the, the uh, in what kind of situation that coral need to extend the polyp. So first of all, uh, because uh, is oxygen, because they do the air exchange on their skin, the part of the skin. So when the oxygen level is low, so they have to extend the polyp, as much as possible to maximize the surface area for air exchange. Second thing, they're hungry. Because uh, you know that they uh, extend the polyp, they capture foods, especially SPS like Acropora, they eat a lot of uh, microscopic food, like organic particle in the water column, bacteria in the water column, and the many things that we do not see, uh, including some of the little babies of cocoa pots. Actually, those are really beneficial for uh, uh, Acropora. Um, now the, the, uh, the, so we cover that oxygen is air exchange is one reason. Second thing is food. So that, um, when they are extending the polyp, they must, uh, fulfill some kind of need. That's the reason. So, uh, um, 
for example, in the ocean, during the daytime, they don't extend the polyp because they don't want, uh, they are trying to be, uh, keep themselves safe. They don't want another angel fish come in and whoop and eat it. So that is one of the reasons they don't extend the polyp. But at night, they have to extend the polyp because they need to feed. So if the coral does not extend the polyp, they cannot feed. But now we circle back is that uh, One question for you, Dunk. Yep, go ahead. Um, so you just mentioned about um, you know extending polyps during the uh, day mm -hmm. versus uh, the evening. For us yep. as um, as uh, reef keepers, what's the best time to feed our corals, even if you're getting polyp extension during the daytime? Is nighttime still the best time to do it? Because I personally witness a lot more polyp extension at night. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, that uh, uh, feeding them at night is a good. Uh, I, I think it's a good time because that you got a lot more polyp extension. That means that uh, the coral has a, a much better chance to capture the food that you broadcast into the tank. So that uh, I, I normally feed my coral at night. That's the same reason is because that the more polyp extension at night, the better uh, the, well, the, the coral can capture their food. So that's very important. So I, I, I will just uh, dose them at uh, dose the food at night. Uh, during the daytime, well, sometimes I do a demo of some kind of coral food to people and then I just feed them. And for a matter of fact, when the, the food hit the water, the coral start to extend a part of the feed. So now we go back to the end of the topic is that uh, there is uh, amino acid receptor on the part of skin. So uh, for example, the, uh, one of them is the glutamic acid receptor. So basically when you sense a glutamic acid in the water, glutamic acid basically present in uh, many, many meaty foods. So especially your Chinese restaurant, Chinese food, that's MSG. <laughs> so, uh, when, when this amino acid, uh, uh, just uh, when the coral sense that this amino acid in the water, they extend the polyp. For matter of fact, that is how this, uh, you can buy this region called a polyp extender. Yes, that basically is a glutamic acid, very concentrated glutamic acid. You dose in your tank and you can see your coral open up. So uh, the coral, the polyp need to open up to feed. So that is why that at night, the polyp extension is very important at night. So if at night you don't see polyp extension, uh, there's something probably is wrong with that. Uh, but with that said, many Acropora, the polyps are really tiny. You barely can see them. So uh, just like a red dragon, how many times you see the polyp yeah. of the red dragon? Yeah. But it's there, yeah. but it's just very microscopic. Um, so now we uh, go to the, an, another thing about polyp extension is that uh, all the vendors, they love polyp, polyp extension. Because You're talking about the, the online vendors? All online vendors. And actually people also love polyp extension. They like to buy hairy corals because that polyp extension sells product. And yeah. now here's the problem. Um, so that probably one of the reasons that people pay so much attention for the polyp extension during the daytime. For example, somebody will buy a coral from a vendor online and look at a photo or a video, see the polyp flying everywhere, like a cloud, so pretty. When they receive the coral, well, well the no polyp extension for the first week, well, probably is uh, the shipping stress and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, second week, not much polyp extension. Third week, still sitting there, not much polyp. And then after that, the coral seems growing, doing fine. And actually encrusting down to the plug, 
And now then the, the polyp very short and tiny and small. Okay. Now uh, this gentleman asked me what's wrong with this coral. I told him nothing wrong with this coral because this is what this coral is supposed to look like. Now, because that uh, polyp extension sells coral. Now, what happened to some of the people who sell coral? What they do? Well, how they take the photo? First, they dim down the light. So to mimicking, oh, it's a sunset time. So yeah, the coral, because oh. the lighting respond. Okay, they start to prepare to extend the polyp and then get a zap of the polyp extender into the water. Voila, glutamic <laughs> acid receptor, light up, and you start to extend the polyp. Then they shut off the flow. Yeah. Now the flow is down. Now the the oxygen become the oxygen level drops, and the coral just suffocated. Wow, the even more polyp extension. And, so these and are some. Now, you're giving us some of the uh, the tricks that are being used to to dupe us hobbyists online, huh? Don't do it because <laughs> this thing actually damages the coral. If you don't care about the coral, you just want to sell this piece of frack and never see it and say goodbye to it, yeah, feel free to do that. <laughs> so basically, it's the same thing is uh, when you're really hungry, you need food. I give you a photo of a Big Mac. Okay, look at this. And now, oh, you're, you're, you have you're salivating. You're, yeah, what, salivating. What do they, what do they call the, the dog? The, uh, the, uh, what, what, what's the effect uh, for the dogs? The, uh, uh, somebody uh, put in the chat there. I can't remember the... Uh, <laughs> There's a response. Yeah. Basically, it's a response. A dog, when they see food, they start salivating. So the same with the coral. Exactly. Yeah. Same with the coral. But now the problem is, uh, after the, uh, the coral spend the energy to extend the polyp, for a matter of fact, extend a lot of polyps, a lot of energy being, expend, uh, being spent on this kind of thing, they got nothing to return for return. There's no food, nothing. So now the thing is that if you do it once in a while, fine, no problem, no harm done. But if you do it all the time, and now this is a big problem. And now we, we go back to another uh, question is that um, uh, what we're talking about is that when you buy frags online or buy coral online, you're looking at the photo and video. But what happens if you go to somebody's house and look at them, the, the coral, he has a, if somebody has a 10 foot agopora with polyp flying everywhere, is very fluffy. Actually, because that, that person is collecting all the fluffy coral. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> it's not like that somebody is doing something special or something. He just loved those fluffy coral and he collect them and he put them in a tank. So it looks like the whole tank is full of polyp. And then, it's, uh, well, if you have uh, a collection of all different kinds of coral, you can find out that uh, many coral does not have some very fluffy extensions. And uh, even Medipora, many Medipora, the polyps are pretty short. So, um, but it's still visible and it's not like those uh, online photos flying around. And also another thing you might notice, many online photos, actually they're taken under blue light with an orange filter. When they take under blue light, they're actually mimicking uh, the evening. Yeah, you need you need uh, you need to wear like orange uh, glasses to actually uh, you know pick up the colors in these things. It's kind of crazy if you ask me. But and, you yeah. know, listen, teachers. I mean, you know, I I know a lot of people like blue light and all that sort of thing, and and that's, that's fine. fine. Yeah. That's fine. But you know, also, but utilizing that to take uh, you know colors and sell coral, I think is uh, you gotta. I I would only like buy pieces that I know are. Um, you know, named corals that I know what they look like in full spectrum lighting versus yes. seeing pictures under blue lighting. I'm not going to, I mean, I, I've certainly been, you know, tricked 
in the past in terms of buying something that looked really nice under the uh, the blue lighting because the fluorescence was really coming out. But, um, you know, now if I'm buying something online, I make sure that it's a named piece. And, and you could tell in terms of the picture, even if it's got a, like very high, you know, uh, very saturated with blue lighting, you know, that the piece is the piece that it's supposed to be. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's certainly the uh, reality of the situation mm -hmm. uh, right now. So, um, Dong, somebody, um, a couple of, uh, comments about polyp extension. One is, uh, one person asked, um, uh, where is the, uh, the comment, there was like a yellow tang that was picking at the polyps. Is that normal? Uh, I would say that's oh. not normal, right? A yellow tang to, uh, Actually, or maybe it's uh, uh, a very, go ahead. Okay. So, uh, I have one yellow tang. He's right over there and he picked, uh, SPS, uh, polyps. So there is a chance for your yellow tang to pick your SPS polyp. Nothing surprising. He just acquired that taste, unfortunately. So, but uh, most of the time, yellow tang is uh, SPS safe. It doesn't do anything. And I personally have that guy there. I raised him from a baby. So uh, he's now sitting at an LPS tank with all the hammer and frog spawn because like, he liked to eat SPS polyp. So that is, that happens. And I have that right here, one of that. Another fish actually to look out for is Dory. So Dory, uh, really? Yes, yes. Wow. I have uh, I have seen Dories that pick up, uh, pick on SPS polyps. So and of course that I have a uh, Dory that pick on LPS and Yitzoensis. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that uh, I got one, two, three, four, four Dory for free, all from members because all four of them are eating Zoensis and LPS. <laughs> really? So yes, a hippo, now, hippo tang has an yeah, appetite yes. for, uh, for corn. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. You know, I think um, yep. you never know. I mean, you never know. I mean, so they, they pulled them because they were just uh, chowing down on corals and stuff like that. I mean, with, yes. with the yellow tang, do you, you recommend to that person that they get rid of that yellow tang? if they're? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, get rid of it. Yeah. So there, there's no way back. That is, um, uh, once he developed the taste, and it's really difficult for that fish to correct it. I don't even know how to do that. So uh, one time I actually tried to feed uh, that yellow tank three times a day. Doesn't work. <laughs> it looks like he just uh, liked to do that. Had the hankering. It's like chocolate. Yeah, it's like chocolate or, or beer to him. <laughs> so <laughs> once a fish develops this kind of taste, it's no way back. Yeah, you know, it's and it's it depends too on the individual fish, you know. So I was talking about my regal angel fish that um, that was picking at the polyps at the frags. Mm -hmm. I, I also have another regal angel fish in my um, my peninsula tank, and in that tank, you know, I put that uh, fish in about a year, year and a half ago. I can't remember when it was, and um, he, uh, you know, it it occasionally would pick at some SPS. There weren't like a ton of frags, I don't think, at the time, mm -hmm. you know. And now, um, you know, I've got. Um, some good, well-established colonies in that tank, and maybe I'll see them picking here or there, but uh, I've got greater polyp extension in that tank, and, uh, you know, it's, so it could depend, right? I mean, you could have a regal yeah, angel fish. You could have, yeah. you know, you could have a, a regal angel fish that um, will not do that kind of damage, but I, I kind of went against yes. a, a, a rule that I have, which is don't put an angel fish in a tank full of frags, because, you know, frags are going to be a lot more sensitive than colonies, and, and colonies correct. can yep. handle, you know, a nip mm -hmm. here or there, but frags are um, a lot more sensitive. 
Yes. And because the colony is such a, a big mass of uh, polyps, so if one, one or two or 10 being picked up, no big deal. Actually, that happened in the ocean. So when they have massive colony, some fish start to pick on part of the coral, no big deal. You have the rest of them, it's pretty healthy. And, um, but if you talk about frags, then you, if you lose 10% of your polyps, and that frag probably is going, to, going downhill. So actually, when we go back to the polyp extension thing is that uh, uh, I got this question very often is, how can you tell a coral is healthy for Acropora? So uh, by looking at its polyp or by looking at uh, what kind of sign to look at it, and normally people go with its polyp extension, but that is a misconception. Hmm. So the polyp extension is not really uh, a very good indicator of your coral health. For matter of fact, one thing I want to point out, there is such thing as a hyperextension. And actually, there's sometimes coral extend the polyp massively before they die. For example, hmm. um, the coral that collect uh, uh, from the ocean, for example, that uh, uh, many years ago, <laughs> when I still be able to get Australia wild Acropora colony, like a strawberry shortcase. So what I noticed is that some of them uh, once I put those strawberry shortcake alchemated in a tank, those are wild colonies, and the polyp is just massive. It's just like hair, it's just like cloud. And then they die. So there is, uh, they either they're hungry, they cannot adjust to the uh, reef tank, the environment, of uh, the captive environment. So they try to extend their polyp uh, to maximize the exposure to light, uh, to nutrient, to oxygen. For matter of fact, that I read a study showing that uh, the ocean has a much, much higher oxygen level than many of our reef tanks. So I, if I remember correctly, that study was actually went around and, and collecting water sample, testing the oxygen level, oxygen level of this uh, reef central uh, tank of the month, those kind, those kind of things. Yeah. The good one, the good tank. Then what they found out is that the oxygen level is much lower than the ocean. Hmm. So. So when uh, that, that may explain uh, a wild colony, aqua colony, come from the ocean, and when they hit the tank, and they maximize their polyp, they are basically suffocating. And then next thing they do is to bail out, because that aquapora has this really bad habit. It's called a polyp bailout. Basically, within this colony, a, a, a handful of polyp not happy, saying that this environment terrible. I need to leave. In the <laughs> reef, fine, boom. They, they, they come off the skeleton. And then they land it somewhere else, they have a chance to live. But in our tank, boom, they bail out, they're in the skimmer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but now here's the, uh, the bad part. So because all the tissues are connected, when some polyp bail out, the possibility, they will send out a chemical signal throughout the colony and tell everybody bail. So everybody meeting kind of, everybody in terms of the, all the polyps in that colony. All the polyps. All the polyps yeah, in that colony. The, boom. The, the, all the polyps. Uh, they're not. They're not telling the. They're not telling other corals to bail out, are they? Well, hard to say. <laughs> there is observation. The hypothesis. Uh, saying that well, those kind of thing may affect uh, other coral coral as well. Will cause the other coral cause a uh, polyp bailout. So basically, what in in our term is like wow overnight RTN. Yeah. And uh, back like uh, more than ten years ago, I saw there's one guy 
his whole tank full of SPS all melted overnight. Boom, gone. Just because that he put in one colony of wild acropora. And that colony wow. fell. And then the whole tank, all the acro fell. So that was just so, kind of like a domino effect. Yeah, it is. So it's very careful. I have to be really, really careful. But here's the interesting thing. Actually, that happened to, uh, to me too. I see them melting in front of my face with pile up like a cloud, fully extended. The melting and then the Boy, what did you what did you do? Flying. What did you do to deserve that, Don? Oh, well, <laughs> because I, I I have a lot of coral, so I I I, I bound to run into something yeah, like that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Chances are. So here, yeah, when you start seeing this thing happen, if there's a wild coral, yank him out immediately, and don't bother trying to save it. No way you can save it. Once you start to pull a bell out, and then even you can frag it and cut a small piece of them, uh, put it in another tank, and they will bail out later. So unfortunately, this is what happened. Actually, it's their survival mechanism. So <laughs> it, it, it's not because there's something bad in your tank. It's just because of some part of not getting used to this environment, that including lighting and flow. That is why I do not want to keep uh, aqua uh, colony more than five, six inch. So five, six inch is, is probably the biggest I want, or want them to, to be there. The reason for that is that, oh, well, let me take that back. If it's staghorn, no big deal. Staghorn, you can keep it really huge. The reason for that is that staghorn, the, all the branch is very far away from each other. Every one of them gets a very good flow. But for dense tabling acro, now the problem is that when it gets really big, the, the polyp in the middle, it's not going to be happy because they're not getting in sufficient amount of flow. When they're not happy, they start to bell. When they bell, they send out the chemical signals throughout the colony. You are looking at the whole colony. So what, totally what, what exactly does a, I don't know if I've ever witnessed this. What does a, a polyp bailout look like? I mean, can you actually see the polyps floating away or are they uh, like yes, a milky just white? Just like RTN. Just like an RTN. And it happens like yep. in a matter of like hours. This is something that happens really quickly. Uh, uh, pretty quickly, normally in, within hours. So sometimes overnight and the whole thing just gone. And actually uh, when that happened, and if that colony is uh, like three to four inch big and is aquaculture, I will go there and test my water seriously. Right. But if that colony is wild colony and then it's like four, five, six inch big, well, I just yank him out. Don't bother checking my tank. This is pretty natural, pretty uh, well, it happened pretty often, actually. And sometimes you can see that the, the bell out inside the back when you receive the package. Yeah, it's cloudy. You're taking him out, yeah. it's already yeah, going Yeah, down. So uh, I, I'm sorry if I missed this. So you, you're you basically saying that, you know, good polyp extension is not necessarily a sign that a coral is uh, is happy and healthy. Um, what, Absolutely what, correct. What what are the, uh, the signs um, that, you know, are a good indication that your coral is, uh, is, uh, is not, uh, you know, hunky dory is, is coloration mm -hmm. something I've always noticed, um, you know, if, uh, phosphates are like zero or something like that, I'm going to see some pale corals or if phosphates go really high corals might brown out, you know, is, is coloration a, a, the, the best indicator of a coral health? Actually, uh, coloration can be both ways. Um, some coral become extremely colorful before they die. Uh, the important thing how to look at it, a coral, is that look at it's fresh. So to see if the fresh actually juicy or is very thin and stick to the bone. So uh, 
no matter uh, regardless if the coral is aquaculture or wild, if you look at the coral uh, and then it seems like the mucus is pretty uh, thick or, or on the skin, the skin looks pretty puffy, uh, not like a balloon, but but it, it, it's pretty, it just look like uh, um, healthy body weight. It's not like a supermodel, absolutely skinny, those <laughs> kind of things. And uh, one sign to actually easy to look for is that if you see the coral, uh, it's very pale. And also the skin is very thin. Yeah, you can see that some of the, uh, the uh, skeleton sees through the skin and the skin was like retracted, stuck on the bone and that coral is in trouble. And for matter of fact, um, I don't want to bash a company start with V and many Z tank. The coral looks like that. In many, what, in say, many what kind of tanks? Uh, the Z, start with Z. There's a method quite popular, used to be quite popular, oh, you right? Can, you can name names. Yeah, I know. Okay, so it's deal of it. Okay. So the, those kind of tank, they are very uh, pastel color, bright color. Uh, of course, that with all this chemical to get rid of your symbiosis uh, algae, put the coral on IV drip. So yeah, they, they look uh, very colorful. But you also look at them, it's very skinny. So I make a rule for buying coral because I like to purchase coral from hobbyist and uh, from uh, the aquaculture coral. So if anybody telling me they're running their tank using the Zilvid method, <laughs> oh, bye-bye. No, that is you won't, you won't take them. No, I won't take them. So that is, uh, of course, basically you're buying something on IV drip. They are not healthy because, and, and also the, the owner of those coral, they love this kind of pastel color. Of course, they're very attractive. They're, uh, uh, they show the pink, purple, neon green, really colorful. But then you have to dose all these regimens and put them amino acid and you have to keep everything like, well, there's a, there's a laundry list of things you need to do. And those are very tiresome. And also that when those coral go into a normal tank, a normal, that means that you're doing the normal stuff uh, uh, that we all are accustomed to these days. They don't live. They have very low chance to survive. You just wasted your money. So when you buy a coral, the, even the coral is not very colorful. No problem, as long as long as it looks juicy and plump. <laughs> Got a little meat on the bones there. That's what you're no, looking exactly. for. Exactly, the yeah. meat is all all that importance. The meat is critical. Interesting, interesting. All right, yeah. One uh, one last question about polyp extension. We'll uh, move on to another topic. Uh, Greg D, what if polyps don't extend at night? Is that coral in trouble? Uh, no, uh, at night, you expect them to extend. Except red dragon, you cannot see it. <laughs> but for like Midipora, 10 years, and then you are expecting them to extend the polyp at night because that, 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 that is their natural habit. So I and, guess what Greg yeah. is asking is what if they don't extend at night? If they don't extend at night, the first thing you look for predators. That means that some of your fish probably are not sleeping very well. They like to wake up and have a snack at night. <laughs> That's one thing. And fish is not the only thing. You should look at worms, like uh, bristle worms, and some, some, sometimes that, that can be pretty harmful, and also like bobbit worms. Let me yeah, bobbit worms are badass. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that, uh, uh, in my 200-gallon tank, uh, that back many years ago, I keep losing recorded polyps. They're just gone the next morning. <laughs> And at night, that uh, I'm looking at it, I see this worm coming from the rock, 
a black piece coming up, turn around, whoop, <laughs> and then drag it back. So eventually, I cut him about two feet long. It, 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 yeah, it, that. So that is something. Well, that's just one example. But uh, besides fish, there's uh, other thing can irritate coral. Actually, for matter of fact, pots. Those are like some ticker pots or, or some kind of pot you bought. <laughs> those sometimes that they're they're predator the, the the predators they can irritate coral. So if the coral uh, acropora, what I mean, uh, is not extending the polyp at night, and first look for predators for something irritating them. That's one thing. Second thing, uh, actually this thing uh, happen very often. Uh, I uh, when somebody come to me and saying that my acropora has no polyp extension at night. There are no pests, all my fish are reef safe, everybody behave, I never see anybody peck on my coral. Then I ask them this question, do you have a giant toadstool in your tank? Hmm. And most of the time, oh yeah, we got a big weaving well of uh, willow. I got this Tyree neon green toadstool, humongous, two feet across, sitting in my tank. I said, yeah, that's your problem. <laughs> because that this kind of giant toadstool, they're releasing chemical into the water to suppress the other coral growths. And now that means that your SPS are not very happy, so they're not extending their polyp at night. So at night, if you don't see the polyp extension, that definitely is something to look for. So predator, uh, chemical warfare, and if this two check marks or check, no, no predator, uh, no chemical warfare, and then catch your water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's something wrong with that. And actually, now we, we come back to the testing water part is that uh, my suggestion is that immediately change 25% of your water because uh, a lot of these irritants, uh, the chemical or whatever thing that irritate your coral are not testable by any of the hobby grade test kit. You have no test kit for it. You have no ICP for it. Those are just organic compounds. And the best solution for that, run activated carbon, change your water. And change your water, and change your water, and change your water, change your water, change your water. That's the way to do. So if after all that you run activated carbon, you change your water, it's still the polyp still not coming back. And then I should ask this question: Shall I think uh, how long do you have this coral? If this coral only have it for two weeks, no problem. Wait two months and to see if it becomes yeah. normal. Yeah. <laughs> hey, one more uh, question, Dong, about uh, polyp extension, Millie's you know, are notorious mm -hmm. for having great polyp extension. But millies yes. can also be very temperamental, right? A lot of, um, you know, I've, I've had, um, you know, some some great luck with millies, but I've have had some others that uh, just never took off and and have been a challenge. So is is that, you know, big polyp extension for millipora, is that a, um, is that got something to do with them not being as, you know, hardy as perhaps other acros? Or is that a misconception that I have? Uh, very good question. Actually, this question has been asked so many times uh, to me. So, Millipora, definitely you should see polyp extension on them because that's what it is. And for matter of fact, uh, for all the aquaculture Millipora, they do extend their polyp during daytime. That is because they are aquaculture. So they get used to that. They basically uh, evolve so-called assisted evolution to adapt to that. Because that, uh, if a coral find out there's no predator around in the, in the captive, uh, they, are, they feel safe to extend their polyp 
remember these are animals, and then they have behaviors, and so they start extending their polyp during daytime. When they extend their polyp, they get better photosynthesis because they maximize their skin. Yep. So they're capturing uh, uh, those organic particles in the water. They're capturing bacteria. They're feeding during daytime. Why not? So uh, for all the Medipora, that is aquaculture, truly aquaculture, not chop shop version. They should extend the polyp. Uh, sometimes they're very long, sometimes it's very short, but for Medipora, they should extend their polyp if they're healthy and they're aquaculture. But now, here's the thing. If you don't see the Medipora extend their polyp during daytime, and that coral is aquaculture, and what you should look for is look at the, the base of the coral for the Medipora. Here is a, a very commonly happening thing. Uh, if it's mounting on a frag plot, you, sh you want to check if there are any, uh, any kind of gunk or anything accumulating around the base, which you can find them uh, many times. You will find this kind of bacterial film or whatever, fish poop dropping, accumulate at a, a, accumulated at the base, which can irritate the coral. When the coral is irritating, uh, it, it, its polyp extension is not great or just retracted their polyp. So uh, the bottom line is that for aquaculture, healthy midipora, you should see polyp extension, some of them short, some of them long. For some bizarre reason, one of my milli that I got from this uh, a great uh, hobbyist, uh, local hobbyist, is always with polyp flying everywhere. So that's what it is. That, 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 that's what this coral is. I have other milli that doesn't have this long polyp extension, but this, this, so it depends on what kind of coral it is, even just within the milli family, and they behave differently. So, but I, I will expect polyp extension from Melipora, uh, at least a little bit short. Yeah, so is that, um, is the polyp extension, you know, the fact that they have a lot more polyp extension, some of them have more polyp extension than other acros, is, is that a factor in terms of how Millie's can be a little bit more temperamental because of the, no. no. So it's got nothing to do with it. What, what, uh, what would you say is a, a, a you know, reason why Millie's would not be as hardy as some other acros or maybe more challenging to keep? I actually find the exact opposite. Oh, really? Yes, I found that Millie actually is the most robust, one of the most robust coral that I keep. Uh, uh, that's by the mortality rate, the growth. And I contributed to the reason is that they have the polyp extension during daytime provided they're truly aquaculture, and then they actually be, uh, they feed themselves really well. They eat well, they grow fast. So that, uh, they have uh, this kind of uh, mechanism to capture, provide them more food. So they actually uh, become more um, robust. So here comes that um, some of the mealy, they're actually not aquaculture. I've seen those insane, beautiful mealy and then uh, they just harvest it from the reef life from Solomon Island, those kind of things. They're absolutely stunning. And then uh, I actually, I used to bought a box or something, maybe more than one box of them. Uh, so those mealies, <laughs> uh, they would lose their polyp extension uh, after maybe several weeks. And then uh, from those wild mealy, yes, the, 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 the death rate is pretty high. It's nothing to do with the species. Basically, it's just because they are being hacked from the reef. Gotcha. And they're stressed out. They're not aquaculture. So basically, there is a basic 
biological difference from uh, aquaculture coral versus wild coral. Uh, for example, that one of the, the, the universities said, uh, label it as assisted evolution. So the major difference is wild coral, their um, majority of the nutrient uh, input is by capturing plankton food. Photosynthesis is secondary, is supplement. But for aquaculture coral, photosynthesis is the primary food source and feeding is secondary. So the transition from wild coral to aquaculture coral is this kind of change, is make photosynthesis become the majority of your uh, energy intake. So that is the difference between wild one and the aquaculture one. That is why the wild one, no matter what they're milli or they're 10 years, very difficult to keep. That is also uh, contributed to the uh, con a misconception about uh, aquapora is much harder to keep. That's not true exactly. So for aquaculture coral, I actually find out that AK is more challenging because I have to feed them every day, which is very tiresome. <laughs> <laughs> the acans, yeah. yeah. Um, so M. Clifford's got a good question going back to the toadstool, uh, toadstool the leather um, mm -hmm. thing that you've talked about. If you do have a toadstool, do you suggest running carbon to counteract the chemical effects? Absolutely. So also depends on how big is your toadstool. And keep in mind that uh, the activated carbon is not as effective as they being advertised. For example, I saw some brands of uh, uh, activated carbon saying that, well, it lasts for six months. No, it doesn't. Your activated carbon will be saturated in probably about a week and a maximum two to three weeks and your carbon become totally useless. So right. uh, if you're using activated carbon to counteract the toxin, or we call it toxin, or we uh, call it uh, secondary metabolite for chemical warfare, and, and if you use activated carbon to counteract that, you're going to be spending a lot of money on activated carbon. Hmm. So uh, let me tell you one story is that I used to have a 90 gallon tank with a gigantic toaster in it. And that 90 gallon tank is plumbed into my LPS system. And for years, my LPS, it just doesn't look right. The suffering. They are uh, basically all the, the A-cans, the hammer, they grow pretty slow. And then <laughs> one day, I donated this big toadstool to a high school. So when they come to pick up the toadstool, I get a, a half bucket full of water in a five-gallon bucket. I take the toadstool out, and the toadstool started dripping water. And I put this toadstool in the bucket, and guess what? The bucket looks brown. The water coming out from the toadstool, when it's retracting, being stressed out, being uh, uh, when it was being removed from the tank, it's stressed out, it's shrink, it's expelled all its water, and the bucket is brown, the water. Wow. That much kind of thing in it. And after I removed the toadstool, everybody perk up in, my, in the tank. Everybody <laughs> the grows suddenly to pick up. Everybody's happy. And, so, and, and another funny thing is that at that time, I also have a Tyree toadstool. It's much smaller. I figure out when, but that Tyree toadstool frequently close up. It's not opening. <laughs> so, and after I removed the big giant toadstool, and that Tyree toadstool just, wow, open every day and then getting bigger and bigger. And then when it gets too big, it's problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I chop it up 
and then uh, make into small frags, and then um, uh, of course that uh, that is uh, uh, everybody uh, love it, and many people like it. I sell quite a bit of frag of it. I always keep it small. So if your toe stool is about three to four inch, don't worry about it. If your toe stool is about twelve inch big, oh yeah, that's something uh, to worry about. And besides toe stool, there's another thing: is those finger letters. They call the devil's finger yeah. or whatever. Yep. And those things are equally bad. And also, they're really ugly. That's the problem. <laughs> 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 so that's why I no longer keep them. Uh, they're toxic to the other coral, and they look bad ugly. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I used to keep, um, I used to always keep uh, toadstools in, in my tanks. And uh, years ago, I haven't had any toadstools in a long time. But, uh, you know, they're really cool-looking corals, right? I mean, you get, yeah, you, get a, you get a nice toadstool that's got some big, serious... Uh, you know, extended uh, long polyps, and, and especially mm -hmm. the Fiji, uh, the yellow leathers. I mean, those things oh, are gorgeous. Oh, the yellow gorgeous. leather is hard to find. Yeah. Yeah, now these days I'm sure yeah. they're hard to find. Um, Amanda Meckley yes. makes a comment, assisted evolution. Chris and I have discussed how the corals change long-term in captivity. Awesome to hear that studies have started. Yeah, there, there is. Uh, that's what I read from uh, uh, journal articles. Yeah, they call it assisted evolution. So aquaculture coral definitely is different from the wild counterpart. But that makes me worry about one thing, is that uh, to restore the reef and people take the coral from the reef, aquaculture it, uh, but then they transplant back to the reef. Mm. But now the thing is that will this aquaculture coral uh, can adapt to the reef environment again? I don't know. I don't know. That, 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 that's what I'm thinking about. Is that it may not, well, that can be a challenge. Yeah. Um, so Maximino S is asking about um, feeding SPS and, and corals with phytoplankton um, and bacteria, whether mm -hmm. that's necessary. Do we want to get into the, uh, the coral um, feeding discussion? Or you, want, you want to talk about coloration first? Okay. You know, let's, let's, let's talk about coloration first and get into the, uh, to the feeding. So um, I am going to show a, a quick clip that you um, pass along to me of one of your frag tanks. And, and um, when this comes up, people are going to, you know, see how colorful uh, Dong's frags are. And, and that's what I always remember, Dong, when, when I've um, been to your place or I've gotten frags from you. The, the purples are just super purple. Yep. The blues are just super blue. The greens are vivid green. You got reds, you know. So obviously you have um, you raise very, very colorful, um, you know, corals. So, you know, I think the, the question that um, I'm always interested in, in finding out about is, you know, do you do anything specific to target certain colors? Are you adding certain traces for purples? Are you adding certain traces for greens? You know, I know that there are, um, you know, traces out there that you can target for certain colors. Do you chase certain colors? Uh, no, actually, that uh, uh, the coral, they're colorful they're just because they, that's what they are. And actually, I have, um, I'd be able to change uh, many corals' color. So it start with a brown-looking coral and then become bright blue in the, in the middle, and then a multicolor rainbow. Actually, uh, one important thing about coral color, well, provided we are not running zero-width method. If you are running zero-width method, forget about it. Uh, <laughs> all bets are off. At half, yeah, all bets are off, and you're looking at half-dead coral with, uh, well, with no meat on the bones. Skin. Yeah, no me on the bones. So uh, for coral to express that color, I mean, the healthy way, the number one criteria is uh, nutrition. So the, uh, 
actually, I want to break it down in, into this uh, pie chart. So 50% of the coral. We need to give you a color. we need to give you a whiteboard. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 50% uh, of of the 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 this, uh, the reasoning be, uh, behind good color is nutrition because the coral need to be healthy to express all this kind of colorful proteins. So when a coral is struggling, they're not healthy, they're starving, then the, well, they have no energy to express those proteins. So, uh, so for a coral, they have a rich color. That's what I want, uh, that, that's what I like. Rich and dark and colorful, just like coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, the nutrition, very important. So, uh, so 50% contribute to feeding the, the nutrition. I read one article one time, actually it's an open letter from a, bi a marine biologist to hobbyist, but probably back many years ago. So uh, I have very good memories. Uh, <laughs> that's why I do not watch movie twice. <laughs> I cannot. So uh, what he said is that um, because in the ocean, the coral, uh, he, he is referring to SPS, mostly Acropora. They fast so much. There's so much food available to them. So in a captive, you guys what? You guys feeding them light and you want them to survive on photosynthesis? Of course, by then, the assisted evolution is not even there. So people thinking about the coral in our tank are basically identical from the coral in the ocean. So uh, uh, he's quoting some of his uh, research saying that the, uh, and, uh, Acropora, uh, was eating 10 times or even more of the organic matters in the ocean than in our tank. I don't know how he conducted his study, but that's in his open letter. That's what he said. You guys are starving your corals. But then, of course, that uh, the hobbyists reply with that, yeah, if you dump that much food in our tank, and then looking at algae blooms and, yeah. all the, all the, and then the, the water would be all foul and yeah. ammonia spy, that's, that's uh, not practical. Unless you have, uh, uh, you hook up your tank to the ocean, so you always have this uh, circulation. Yeah, probably that's, you, you can do it. But uh, for aquaculture coral, the good thing is that uh, aquaculture coral is able to satisfy its nutrition needs uh, mainly by photosynthesis. That's one big bonus. But that also, uh, that uh, is also important for them to be able to eat. Because that anything has a mouse, a coral has a mouse, and well, that has to be. There must be a reason for that. Because a, a coral's mouse do two things: eat and poop. That's all they do. <laughs> Comes out the same mouth, huh? Same mouth. So uh, feeding SPS actually is quite important. And now, uh, uh, if you're looking at the or uh, the, the 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 food composition, so uh, from photosynthesis, the symbiosis algae. Uh, well, actually, here's an important concept. The coral itself is not doing photosynthesis. No, the coral itself is not doing photosynthesis. It's the algae that embedded in the coral doing photosynthesis. Then they produce amino acids, sugars, lipids, and then they funnel down to the, to the coral. The coral eat those kind of things. So that means that uh, you got carbon, nitrogen, uh, uh, like oxygen, and some sulfur maybe. But then now you, uh, uh, that is part of the, the nutritious needs. But all living things has one important thing. Uh, not only they require oxygen, carbon, nitrogen, they, they need phosphor. 
phosphor, people phosphate. So <laughs> then, then the uh, because there, there, I remember remember there's a gentleman coming in telling me that oh uh, he's he's not feeding frozen food because the store told him frozen food has phosphate. No, no, no. Sorry, I take it back. Frozen food does not contain phosphate, but your uh, pellet food contains phosphate. I said, no, that's not true. Because that if a food does not have phosphate, it's not food. Because that any of, of, of these organic matters, all these uh, fish meal, they contain tons of phosphate in it. That's what the coral needs. Uh, the, that's what a fish needs. The fish also pee, poop. And that containing phosphate. Should should and we be the, should we be washing the frozen food to get the phosphate out of that, or should we not bother actually, about that? I I I was, my suggestion is that don't even bother with frozen food, the commercial ones. The reason for that don't don't bother one, feeding the commercial frozen food. No, don't bother. Actually, unless you buy from a very reputable source. So what's a reputable source? I, uh, well, there's some online vendor is very reputable. I think that if you buy from Boreal Supply, no problem. Yeah, you buy from Life Aquaria, no problem. And for matter of fact, if you buy from Peco, no problem. Now here's the problem. The problem is that some store shall not name names. And basically does not ship and store those frozen food properly to cut cost. If you request, and then the I, people, I'd like you to name names because it might be the uh, no, food no, I'm I, buying. I, I'm not going to name names this time. <laughs> but I can name names for the good source. Like you can buy from Life Aquaria. You can buy from Bowery Supply. San Francisco well, Bay? Uh, yeah, directly from San Francisco Bay. Perfectly good. Yeah, okay. Because they that, that's the brand, I'm, frozen, the, brand, the brand I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Because they ship them to you under dry ice pack and coolers. And some of the fish store, guess what they do? They ship frozen food using UPS. I got the information straight from some of the wholesalers' mouths, okay? They're being requested to ship frozen food through UPS. Meaning without any so dry that, ice, so it's melting? Nope, nope, all melted, and put them back into the freezer, freeze them, and sell it back to your customer. And actually, I have a, 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 a Boston Reefer member come over, and after he fed the frozen food, I shall not... Uh, name the gender either, just he, okay? Fed the frozen food to his fish. His fish gets sick and die. So he brought the frozen food to me. He bought from a, a store, let's say, okay? Local fish store. And the, the, the blister pack, the aluminum foil, it basically separating from the, from the plastic. And that was a pack of P, uh, 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 PE mices or something like that, in mice shrimp. Yeah. A, a healthy one, a good one, should be, you can look at all this uh, white shrimp in there, individual. And in that pack, this person bought this gray mush inside. Now you can see this frozen food has been mistreated or even misshipped. Yeah. Because, yeah. So actually, I, <laughs> you can request, uh, that's back many years ago, you can request uh, the, the supply to send this thing, UPS grab. They don't care. So some of them this day probably different. So uh, that means that if you want to feed frozen food, buy it from a reputable source uh, or buy online from a reputable source and then they ship them to you uh, by cooler and dry ice pack. And for example, if you, well, uh, Life Aquaria, I love that company. So Life Aquaria always charge you shipping for frozen food. <laughs> you cannot get free shipping out of that because that 
it does cost them a lot of money to ship this frozen yeah, food properly it's to you. Cheap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not cheap. So yeah. you can get free shipping on something on dry good, but not frozen food. You always pay for it. So now here's the question is that why do you want to do that? Because that your local market basket or your local grocery store is your best source for frozen food. Go there, get a piece of tuna, get a piece of uh, raw salmon, shrimp, scallop, whatever seafood they're available, put them in a blender. Oh, before you do that, soak this seafood in tap water for at least 30 minutes. Why you want to do that? Because according to FDA, they have to treat raw seafood with phosphate. That's for the health and safety reason. That means that your, your raw seafood actually covered with phosphate. So you want to soak them uh, in tap water and for 30 minutes or you wash them clean. So to get rid of this coating of phosphate and then you take them without adding any water, go into a blender and blend them into mush and pack them in the freezer. You got the best frozen that's, food that, you can ever have. That's one thing that I do do. I, I, I do use um, frozen mices and frozen um, uh, brine shrimp cubes, but I also have my own blend of um, fresh uh, yep. seafood that I get, um, you know, some uh, some codfish fillets or um, mm -hmm. some whatever, you know, you can find shrimp and peel that stuff and just kind of a big smorgasbord of, of uh, seafood. And, and yep. you know, I it's interesting that you say to uh, to soak that stuff in tap water for 30 minutes. I uh, I haven't done that in the past, but what I always do, though, is before I feed the uh, the fish, I I take a chunk of the frozen food and I wash it underneath the uh, tap water just uh, in case it does mm -hmm. have any uh, phosphate in it to uh, to get it off. You know, speaking of phosphate and, um, you know, um, in, in terms of making sure that you have the, uh, you know, have some phosphates in the tank, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to have zero phosphates in your tank. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that I've talked about in the past in this live stream, I've talked about in some of my videos, is the reliability of phosphate test kits. And not that good. Not <laughs> not that good. So what what do you do there, Dong, in terms of trying to do you rely on ICP tests for phosphate readings? Nope, because that uh well coral is highly adaptable. And also the phosphate range that the coral can benefit from or tolerate it is a huge range. For example, that if your phosphate at 0 0.1 ppm versus 0 0.5 uh, 0.5 ppm versus uh, 1 ppm, it probably doesn't make too much difference at all. As long as your uh, a little solid phosphate test kit showing you that you got phosphate, either it's 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.5, no problem. You mean 0 0.01 or okay. 0 0.02 or whatever in terms of the phosphate? Uh, 0.0, no. I keep my phosphate at 0 0.5. 0 0.5, wow. Not 0 0.05, 0 0.5. 0 0.5, and, and you've got no algae exactly. in your systems. Oh, uh, actually, you got a little? that's what all my fish for. Yeah. Because I, I feed them well for what? They're, they're cleaning my tank. That, that, that's the job. That's my employee. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have algae that uh, at the location where the fish cannot reach. I just go in there and just yank them out. And another thing is that uh, I have these uh, uh, sea urchins. Those sea urchins, I just put one in. They just mow the, the area with algae. And then after they've done the job, I take them and put them back into the sun. And next time I need them, I grab them and just let mowing. So those, those the sea urchins are really effective. Uh, they are not just, uh, I, I, I got them from Florida, from Coral Farm. And, uh, and uh, those sea urchins actually, actually can uh, mow a strip out of uh, a hair algae. So uh, there's a, one. Uh, Do they uh, touch uh, bryopsis? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> 
yeah, they do. <laughs> so, that, so basically anything that the 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 the, the LG they just mow it. And then uh, there's a one guy who bought two sea urchin from me. And then uh, uh, with his uh, back glasses covered with LG, the next morning he wake up, two strip, <laughs> <laughs> like an air air strip, and um, yeah. um, they don't knock crap over. Uh, unfortunately, they do. They, they do. do. Yeah. So uh, that's why I want them to uh, I keep them. Actually, they're not very big. Yeah. They're probably about that. Like a bit slightly bigger than what, a what, what kind of uh, sea urchins are you talking about? They're just uh, uh, some sort of uh, uh, tuxedo sea urchin, the pincushion sea urchin. Okay. Just for some reason that the one I got, they're really effective. I also have some other sea urchin get from uh, other place. They just sit there doing nothing and mm. then just carrying all my pretty flag on their, uh, on, on their hair and decorate themselves <laughs> and walk away with my, all my corals. <laughs> but for this batch, this, this sea urchin from this particular source, for some reason, they're really effective. Of course, they also can kidnap my frags, but well, I can always grab them back. <laughs> so, Dong, you're getting you're getting a lot of uh, compliments and kudos for being back on the live stream. I know uh, you were you were a big <laughs> hit the you. last time, so people are really getting a lot out of uh, out of this uh, chat again, Dong. So, again, thank you for uh, for being here. So, um, I see uh, I see some questions about lighting and blue light versus full spectrum lighting. But mm -hmm. let's uh, let's let's finish talking about the um, the feeding um, conversation. So, what would your okay. uh, recommendation be in terms of feeding? You know, phytoplankton, some coral food, um, bacteria. What do you think is like the uh, the right blend in terms of feeding a tank? You know, not only for uh, for SPS health but also for LPS and softies. Uh, actually, uh, the the most effective feeding. It's your homemade frozen food, because the juice that uh, coming from those uh, frozen food that is the reason that I want to rinse them before I chop them, blend them up, because I feed the juice just uh, a break a chunk, just put it in a, in a cup with some seawater, let it melt a little bit and pour it in. The juice actually is benefit for all sorts of corals, mm. and it turns out the zoansis really benefit from it. You can even target feed those juice. And blast on top of the zoensis, your zoensis just bloom. Yeah, uh, I don't, I, I don't like that. Everywhere. I don't like that part of it because <laughs> I had a big problem with so, zoensis blooming in my last uh, 187. So the tank. best, best coral food is your homemade frozen food. That's the number one. Uh, yeah, and, you know what? I also add to my blunt. I add a little refroids to that. Uh, refro. Actually, I have a better suggestion. I thought you so, used to use uh, refroids. Yeah, I use Reefroid too, but I, I, I've been using the, this uh, new light spectrum Reef Cells. What's it called? Uh, uh, Reef Cell, uh, R-E-F-F-C-E-L-L. -L. Well, I'm not associated with them. I just buy them. I use it for myself. And uh, this is not an advertisement. They should pay me, but apparently <laughs> they don't know me. So, uh, I've, I've, started, that... I've started using the, uh, the Captivate Aquaculture uh, feeds. I know uh, ACI uses that uh, mm -hmm. stuff as well. So, yeah, I've just started uh, dabbling with that. It actually is all about the particle size. So uh, Reef Roy and Reef Chidi probably is a uh, uh, majority of them probably is too big for many acros. So the size is not very even because they're probably their natural harvested plankton and dry. Uh, but this thingy, uh, they actually man-make. They're purely synthetic. They take a tiny algae core, a tiny little tiny ball, and attach tiny, tiny, tiny microscopic meat meatball on it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's three sizes available 
uh, large, medium, and small. The small one actually I find out really effective on uh, SP, uh, SPS, like Acropora. So uh, what happened is that uh, when you mix this into water, before you feed them, you can see a clear difference. So when I mix Reef Roy, uh, Reef Chili, and you can see that it's just a slurry. Uh, you can see the particulate, the particles. But when you mix this, a small particle reef cell, you got a milk. It's like milk. Yeah. It's that small, the particle. And also this is bone dry because that's synthetic. So all you need is just a tiny little bit. And broadcast feed it and your, uh, your acro will love it. Now here at, we talk at, about... At night though, yeah, when lights are off. At night, at yeah. night. But even at daytime, you have a midipora, probably that works too. Uh, shut, <laughs> shut the uh, shut skimmer off? Uh, no, I don't do that. Okay. Because that, uh, I'm just too lazy to do that. It, it, it makes not much difference, seriously. <laughs> because we are, we are looking at a closed a circul- a recirculating system. And, and the skimmer doesn't seem to be very effective at pulling off this kind of thing, seriously. So, uh, or maybe I just don't care. Or maybe I'm overfeeding them. Uh, uh, well, because that, you know, sometimes that got to be a little bit lazy. You cannot take everything at a 100% yeah. efficiency. Yeah. So, um, I stopped making everything 100% efficiency because that there's no life after that. You, <laughs> everything has to be perfect, yeah. 100% efficient. No, you get that's crazy. not going to work. Yeah. yeah, get crazy. So, what happened is that uh, well, when I feed this, I... Uh, I do have a parameter to measure if feeding works or not. For example... Uh, you have a what to, so, to measure? Uh, I, I have a measurement. I have a way to measure oh. if, if uh, feeding works or not by alkalinity consumption. So first of all, that you, uh, I, uh, all my tanks are pretty uh, heavily loaded. So like this system probably consumes about 4 dKH a day. Sometimes in the, uh, uh, when I feed heavily, it consumes 6 dKH a day. Wow. With my calcium reactor dripping, not dripping, pouring like a fire hose. <laughs> so my carbon dioxide, the CO2, is not a bubble. It's a steady stream coming from that. <laughs> and then air gas, every time... So hold on, you're, going through, you're like, going through carbon dioxide like it's like going oh on stop. Oh, what's going on? There's a big CO2 shortage. Are you, uh, you finding carbon... Oh, I stocked up. <laughs> I just found two canisters myself, two 20-pound uh, canisters. I felt like I won yeah. the lottery. Yeah, so uh, I actually stock up before the shortage. Uh, the the uh, the supplier that uh, I always purchase the CO two from, and gave me a advance warning. Wow! So I go there, so I have uh, several canisters sitting there. So um, the alkalinity consumption. First of all, that uh, I choose a system. Actually, all my system that system uh, costs a, a consume about four dKH, three to four dKH a day. LPS system, LPS system about one or two. DKH how how are you uh, determining that, um, Don? How do you? Uh, are you just basically seeing? You know, shut off the shut, shut, oh, I'm Sorry, shut off the, the reactor for an hour. And you see what and the then rate? I, I test it. Uh, okay. I test the difference. Gotcha. And sometimes it, it, it is uh, uh, my reactor was uh, malfunction, like the CO2 dry, <laughs> because I test alkalinity uh, every day, always in the morning at the same time. So sometimes I thought, oh my God, then my alkalinity is bottom out. Then I look at my CO2 canister, yeah, it's dry. So uh, by accident and by measurement, so that's how I get uh, the alkalinity consumption. So with a large alkalinity consumption, that way I'd be able to measure the, the smaller difference. For example, if your ta- test kit, uh, hobby-grade test kit, uh, is, 
it's not very sensitive. Here, if there's a, a small difference of alkalinity change, you won't be able, able to measure it. That's why I use a system that can actually, uh, with a large alkalinity consumption. So uh, the bottom line is that if I feed the tank the night before, and then the alkalinity consumption for this system is 0 0.5 dKH higher. So when you say feed That's, the tank, you're, you're saying yep. with coral food. Coral food. Feed the tank with coral food at night. The next morning is always 0.5 dKH higher than I do not feed it. Of course, he's just saying, if you skip feeding, no big deal, seriously. That, that, that's really not a big deal at all. If you forget feeding for several times, you go on a vacation, feel free, no problem. Because that aquaculture coral, now we talk about aquaculture coral again, is primarily is, uh, uh, rely on photosynthesis. So your feeding is icing on the cake. Is this apple? So uh, if I eat my pasta and then, <laughs> then I'm full, I got the nutrition, I got eat my steak, and that is, uh, that's taken care of. I eat an apple and that's um, the icing on the cake. If I don't eat an apple today, no big deal. So, the same thing happened to feeding. Well, you know what they say. The, you know what they say, though, Dong. An apple a day keeps a doctor away. There, so. Uh, yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so, so you're 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 basic. Uh, you're relying on the um, the homemade coral or the the homemade fish food, which has got yep. all the uh, the goodies in it, and mm -hmm. um, and so you've got also some of that uh, that powdered coral food in in that mix is what you're telling me, right? Yep. And, to, and also that uh, I also feed all sorts of food that are available. The, the, the coral food like rib roy, rib chili. I have a lot of them. And Later so you're, around, you're feeding right that now. daily too? Yeah, I feed them daily. Yeah. What, um, but sometimes I get lazy. <laughs> what about, uh, what about uh, phytoplankton? Is that part of the uh, oh, regime? Yes, phytoplankton actually is pretty important. Now here's an interesting thing. What I found out is that actually after also I talk to other people that farm coral. When you feed phytoplankton, you publish feed them during daytime. That's what I was told at the beginning. Feed them during daytime, it's more effective. Well, uh, especially for LPS. One thing I realized is that, like torch and hammer, uh, during nighttime, the torch and hammer actually retracted. It's not as open as during daytime. This is pretty normal. And uh, it's not like SPS, SPS, like Aquapora. At night, they all fluff up and they, all the polyp come out. But torch and hammer, frog spawn, they actually, after the light is gone, they actually shrink. And the next day, when the light come on, they expand again. So uh, the phytoplankton, when I feed phytoplankton, I want them to be at the fluffy stage, the open stage. So that's why when somebody mentioned this, I said, well, that makes sense. So feed phytoplankton because uh, during the uh, daytime for all the LPS, and since I'm uh, feeding phytoplankton for the SPS, just being lazy. So I feed the phytoplankton during daytime. Um, um, are you, are you feeding? Difference? I don't know. Are you feeding live phytoplankton? Yes. Oh, here's a very important thing. Live phyto versus dead phyto is a humongous difference. The dead phyto is just pollution. The, seriously, dead phyto just pollution to your tank. The live phyto is actually is a living organism. Actually, when I feed a lot of them, <laughs> I had they show uh, show up on the glass. So they're living thing. The living thing they carried all the nutritions, and the death thing they just dry up dead cells. And uh, they based and also they're very dense. They don't 
fly around like fly uh, like live phytoplankton. They just accumulate it, become uh, some kind of gunk, settle down in the bottom, or wash away, end up your skimmer, end up your sum, that kind of thing. It's not like live phytoplankton. It's just, uh, I feed uh, dry phytoplankton before. I don't see anything. Seriously, there's no result. It, it seems like it, it just seems like they're polluting my tank. <laughs> but when I feed live phytoplankton, not only there's no pollution, there's an interesting thing. Live phytoplankton actually can uh, reduce your dino. Oh. I didn't invent this because uh, uh, back many years ago, I talked to a coral farm. And then how do you deal with dino? The guy said he feed phytoplankton. And then I said, well, how much do you feed? One gallon a day for the 100 gallon raceway. That's a huge amount wow. when he's dealing with dino boom. So uh, I, I actually tried it myself because that one time one of my uh, frag tank broke, it leaked. So I have to drain it, reseal it, fill it back up, put in new frag racks, and dino, boom, yeah. come out. Yeah. And so what I do is that I feed a whole gallon per day. That is about 120 gallon, that raceway. Uh, that little tank is about 120 gallon. I dump in one gallon of live phytoplankton a day. The, the dino quickly disappear. How um, can, can you give the folks a, um, you know, just a, a, um, a good suggestion in terms of how to start with live uh, phytoplankton? What's, what's a, uh, what's, what kind of setup would you need to, you know, have live phyto? You're basically growing phytoplankton, right? I mean, you're not. Uh, yes, right. yes. Otherwise, that it costs arm and legs. Right, right. So, what what would be your recommendation in terms of a uh, a, a live photoplankton? Um, uh, what what would you call it? Um, the live hatchery. Yeah. Oh, uh, first of all, you start with a good culture. A good culture that means a culture that you 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 can get from a hobbyist, which is actively growing phytoplankton. Don't bother buying a commercial uh, phytoplankton, thinking about you can use them to restart to start your culture. Maybe it's true for many years ago, but it doesn't seem to work these days. For some reason, even they sell you, some companies sell live phytoplankton, that they actually have something add to it, your phytoplankton is not alive. <laughs> so, so that uh, it used to be be able to just uh, like grab a phytoplankton or from online vendor, and start use a starting culture doesn't work anymore for some bizarre reason. So uh, that's why that uh, the first is to get a good phytoculture from your local hobbyist. All you need just like eight ounce, four ounce, a starter culture. Do you uh, do you need to worry about um, you know any um, any pests in a phytoplankton uh, culture? I mean, is there uh, is there something to worry about in terms of potentially bringing in pests to your system? Actually, uh, that's a very good question. And also, it's an easy question to answer. If your phytoplankton culture is contaminated with any pest, it will crash. So the phytoplankton culture is so sensitive. Even a bacterial infection will crash it. So if an active growing phytoplankton uh, culture is, looks uh, uh, emerald green and grows really quick, for example, that uh, I harvest them every five to six days. That's all it takes, five, six days, sometimes even at uh, four days, it's just all full grown from uh, that uh, for a good phytoplankton culture. Here's the interesting thing: there's a, a, a there's a gentleman, and he got some of the my phytoplankton 
uh, as a culture, and he go home, he look at them under the microscope. Then he texts me, he's saying that your phyto is unusually active. <laughs> I didn't realize that. All I know is that it grows really rapidly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what, 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 is your, uh, what is your setup then in terms of growing uh, phyto? What do you need? Oh, uh, uh, clean uh, one-gallon plastic jars. So normally what I recommend is go to uh, Target. Target has this uh, distilled water, costs uh, 79 cents a bottle. And that gallon bottle is transparent the bottle. That is a perfect bottle for growing, growing phytoplankton. And also the distilled water inside, you can use that to mix your salt water. Well, perfect. So that's why that, that, that go to Target and grab your bottle and grab your water. Distilled water, you cannot get any better than that. And you make a, a 1.020 uh, dilution, uh, the, 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 the salt solution. It's much, uh, much more dilute than yours. Tank water. Uh, actually, I, uh, I question that seriously because that I also use 1.025 to grow phytoplankton versus 1.020. That's what all the menus said. Use 1.020. There's no difference. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you could, you could use uh, specific gravity 1.2. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, but, but by using 1.020, there's a one big benefit. You use less salt. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're saving <laughs> some money. Yourself. Yeah, some money. Actually, it, it add up during long term. Uh, uh, yeah, years growing, yeah, you do add up uh, that little bit of money. But does it really matter? Probably it's not that important. So now we come back to the lighting of the phytoplankton. Here's what I've So you're, you're mixing really... up like a one gallon jug of uh, salt water, 1.02. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, one... yep. yep, okay. And then uh, uh, my dilution factor always one to one. For example, that you want. A uh, half gallon of culture, and then you dilute it down, uh, dilute it to uh, one gallon. I try uh, one third, uh, one to three dilution, it works. But one to four dilution, your your uh, your culture is easily crashed. So it's not as so stable. basically a half a gallon of culture, half a gallon of water. Yes, half okay. gallon of culture, half gallon of clean, newly mixed salt, salt water. water. Yep, gotcha. very important. You, uh, you cannot use you use a tank water to do that because that the bacteria whatever will crush your culture will eat it you end up with a gallon of rotifer <laughs> 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 so uh, uh, that is very important is that the, the uh, because when you buy that gallon jug from uh, Target after you use it toss it get a new jug so I seldom reuse the jug if I or want to reuse the bottle. I actually use hydrogen peroxide to clean it, to sanitize it, to kill off the bacteria. So that is uh, important thing is make it clean because of very little contamination will crush your culture. Yeah. So that's why I do not understand why some people be able to grow phytoplankton in an open tank, like a 55 gallon tank with a power head on the side with the whole tank water is bright green and then they sell it as phytoplankton. It turns out those are dry phytoplankton powder mixed with salt water. Ah, that's a different story. <laughs> so uh, it has to be in this closed system. And then with air, the, the rigid air tubing go inside. And um, So it's basically uh, going through a um, through the, a lid that you're drilling a hole through. And you're making yes. sure that the rigid airline tubing, there's no air coming um, around that, right? It's got to be in there tight. 
Uh, actually, two hole. One hole right. is to let the, the rigid go in, yep. rigid tubing go in, and the smaller van hole so the air can okay. run out. Okay. So uh, that will minimize the exposure uh, to the environmental, the, the bacterial in the air. That kind so of you just got a, you got an out. air pump that's an air stone in the on the inside of that. Uh, okay, you brought up a very important question. You cannot use air stone. You have the uh, the pipe, the rigid tubing has to be no air stone. You just tubing itself. Oh, okay. So the bubble is pretty big. Gotcha. So the bubble come out from the the the, the tubing is basically like a like a like a bubble gum size that they're, they're turning your water around. If you put an air stone on the at the end of the tubing, then with all the fine bubble, you end up with a skimmer. Gotcha. So what what happens is that all your phytoplankton, whatever thing, will be skimmed out. Yeah, you don't want to <laughs> do that at the, at, at the top. You don't want to do that. So you want big bubbles going through the, the the air tubing and turning the water around. So now here comes an interesting thing I found out uh, about uh, the lighting. Actually, quite important. So you can buy these pre-made jars, fancy jars with LED strip light wrapping around against it. No, they don't work very well. Yeah, maybe they work. Yeah, they work, but you don't get the best result. The best result is that you have a T5 lit, lit on it. The spectrum does matter. So get some plant bulbs, the T5 and old T5 fixture. Get those uh, uh, horticulture bulbs. Those lie a dime for a dozen. They're cheap. You can probably get it from for free when you buy some kind of uh, Amazon, eBay fixture. Use those bulbs. So what happened is that what I'm using is uh, an Amazon uh t5 light with all this uh, whatever those kind of uh, plant uh, the, the t5 bulb for plant uh, not for coral so uh those kind of warm spectrum thing and the phyto will love it actually so you're just basically the, lining up like the gallon jugs underneath the uh the t5 fixture oh yeah you just you have a row of them yeah okay As a matter of fact i put the t5 behind the job yeah Oh, so, so the, the T5 is like lighting sideways? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, lighting sideways. Gotcha. And then the jug was sitting in front of the T5. Gotcha. So that way that you, you get a maximum uh, light exposure to uh, to your rows of uh, phytoplankton. And how long is so, the light on for? Uh, the light on about uh, 12 hours. Okay. I wouldn't keep it 24 hours because that photosynthesis has two phases. <laughs> so uh, one time I, I tried to light the phytoplankton 24-7 doesn't work very well. The culture easily crashed. So I will light it for just 12 hours. And also, the, uh, I also tried lighting the culture for like 16 hours, 18 hours. Seriously, no difference. 12 hours is probably more than enough for, for them. Just save some electricity, especially this energy crisis. Yeah, yep. so yeah there's no reason to light them for, for too long. Give them some uh, nighttime rest. And they work They need, they well need some sleep, so right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, so once all right, so once you've got that going in terms of that setup, I mean, is that all you need in terms of the equipment? The um, you know, the uh, the air uh, going light, in, light air, air pump, oh fertilizer, the fertilizer that is very important thing. So uh, I buy my fertilizer from Amazon and also from one of my supplier, and keep in mind that despite fertilizer is very cheap, they do go bad. You do not want a fertilizer to sit around for like six months or something like that. Always buy a small like four-ounce bottle what, that will last you for a long, long time. What, uh, so what kind of fertilizer is this? Uh, those F2 fertilizer, I actually used uh, 
right now, uh, I'm using the fertilizer from uh, ReefCreators.com. Okay. And yep. And one thing that they advertise is that they mix the fertilizer before they ship it to you. Hmm. That, that's what, what I said, the fresh. And I also can see that the fertilizer do change color over time. And for example, that after a year, the fertilizer will be, will be, will be much darker. Uh, well, that, that's normal because that they probably started going bad. So you really don't want to buy too much. And uh, if you end up buying like a, a lot of them, you pour out a small portion, the store at the uh, room temperature, a dry, cool place that you used it all the time, and you can put your, uh, the rest of them in the refrigerator. So that will, will slow down the decomposition and also that uh, minimize uh, contamination. Because that uh, I use a syringe to, to dip inside the fertilizer to measure out the, how much fertilizer I need. And that syringe can potentially contaminate it. Mm. And if I contaminated my little bit of fertilizer, no big deal. I toss it. I still have majority of it. But if I dip this syringe into my 16-ounce fertilizer, I may just ruin the whole thing. Yeah. And so, <laughs> how, much, how much fertilizer do you use? Uh, one mil per gallon. One mil per gallon. Actually, now here's a different thing is that I probably using a lot more than uh, what the F2 fertilizer is uh, uh, is recommended. They actually there's such thing as an F1 fertilizer. That means it's double the volume, double the amount of fertilizer. So that only that will make your phytoculture grow much faster. But your culture has to be stable. If you grab a brand new culture, you start to doing the F1, the double the dose uh, amount of fertilizer, you might crash your culture. But you, if your culture is running for like a month or two months, and then you start to uh, give it more fertilizer, so it actually grow much faster. And this, and important thing is that you really want to make sure that all the fertilizer are being consumed before you dose it into your tank. Got you. So that's a uh, yeah. that's interesting. So that's that's kind of a whole uh, big process there in terms of uh, raising phyto. Yeah, the, uh, and, and, and the good thing is that uh, that's why I, I normally let the phyto, uh, for example, the phyto is supposed to be ready for a week. I let it run for two weeks. Even that mature bottle, I, without fertilizer, I let it run for one more week. And uh, how much do you put uh, per gallon in terms of the, uh, the phyto? <laughs> but this is a very, very good question, Keith. <laughs> this, and um, the... Here's a weird thing. Uh, what I found online for the recommendation is too little. The, the amount of phyto that the, like some popular uh, phytoplankton seller, they're recommending dosing so little. It's not effective. So uh, my uh, recommendation is one ounce per 50 gallon of tank volume per day as a minimum. Mm. So normally I, I, I double that, triple that, you basically, you really cannot overdose phyto, seriously. And when you overdose phyto, you just see them show up on the glass. So you get some morning. green tinted uh, on the glass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they are alive. So I will never dose any dead phytoplankton product in my tank. Just my per preference. I do not have sufficient amount of solid scientific evidence saying that, okay, people who are selling dead phyto are not effective to your tank. No, I'm not saying that. For my own preference and for my own observation, not stepping on anybody's toe, not pissing vendors off, I will not 
use that phytoplankton product in my tank because they're not effective in my observation and they're just a pollution to my tank and really no good. So, Only thing I do, live fighting. So, um, all right, we've talked a lot about feeding uh, corals and SPS, and, and uh, we just talked uh, at length in terms of how to do a, a phytoculture, um, you know, the homemade fish food and, and the, uh, the different coral foods that you use. The last time I had you on, we were talking about also uh, potentially dosing bacteria. And uh, I think you had mentioned to me that, uh, you know, it, it potentially could be beneficial, but you weren't, um, you, you didn't really, um, you weren't convinced, I guess, maybe you needed more evidence that it was uh, the case. Has anything changed in your mind in terms of dosing bacteria? Nope. I still think that it's a black box. It, there's not sufficient amount of evidence showing that the dosing bacteria can uh, uh, even more, uh, it can benefit the coral more. First of all, uh, what's in those bottles? Are you sure those bottles are pure? So as working, uh, I, I, one of my uh, past career is working on antibiotics. When you're working on antibiotics, you know that purifying bacteria is really not an inexpensive process. It's not really a very trivial process. So that's question number one. How pure and what's inside those bottles? No label, not use. No label, not indicating what's inside. That is a sewer water. No better than sewer water. Seriously. Just <laughs> garbage. Nope. That's criteria number one. Criteria number two. Even you give me tell me what's inside those bottles. Are those bacterial uh, for nitrification? Or they will attach to the rock? Is that the uh, the bacteria that natural that normally the coral reef will consume? I don't know. I do not have the answer, so I don't not do not use it. But what I know is that uh, but look, the, 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 in my tank, a mature reef system, you do not lack of bacteria. You have way too many. Seriously, you have way too many. That's why what Jake Adams was, was talking about, uh, uh, putting like can be clean <laughs> in, in the tank by uh, killing off some bacteria. Sometimes that, yeah, uh, I don't do it personally, but I can see the point. It's that, uh, yeah, we do not lack of bacteria. Bacterial dosing, Unless you, uh, you probably won't benefit much unless you have ammonia issue. That means your live rock is not ready or it's not uh, up to the capacity to do the job. Yeah, dosing some bacteria in it. Well, I definitely, it may help. But uh, dosing bacteria for feeding the coral, I don't know. I seriously do, do not know. Gotcha. Uh, but always believe that uh, there's sufficient amount of bacteria in the water column and uh, uh, for the coral to, eat, to, to feed on. Also, another interesting thing is that it turns out from the literature I read, coral really not very selective. Uh, bacteria, organic matter, uh, fish poops, they all eat it. They all benefit from it. <laughs> so <laughs> as long as the organic matter, it seems like that can fit through their mouths or absorb through their skin, it works. So yeah. something bacterial in your tank, it probably won't serve too much benefit. And, but there is a definitely clear uh, disadvantage by dumping bacteria, by putting bacteria in your tank. It can potentially cause bacterial infection of your organism, your corals. Uh, bacteria is this kind of interesting thing. A lot of this kind of uh, antibacterial to keep the bad bacteria at bay is by good bacteria. 
And also it's about the proportion of the bacteria. The proportion of the bacteria in the water column is different from on the rock, different from on the coral skin. They're all different. And by dosing bacteria in the tank, we're really messing with something we really have no understanding about. And the fundamental idea is that we should not mess up an environment by adding bacteria into it without understanding what exactly is the interaction of this bacteria to the other organism, to the other bacteria, to the coral, to the fish, to the substrate, to the microorganism, all that kind of thing. When we do not understand that, we should not putting things into our tank and hoping for the best. And whoever sells you those bacteria, they should really study what exactly your bacteria can do to all the organisms. If you do not want to do this study, do not sell it. If you do not have scientific evidence, do not sell it. And for hobbyists, if the, the seller does, new, does not provide you sufficient amount of evidence, how all this kind of thing, or even he doesn't understand how this thing works, just scoop a bunch of bacteria, sell it to you. Do not buy it. So that is uh, actually, that is very scientific, I believe. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a practical point of view. I mean, uh, for sure, yeah. I think uh, manufacturers should, should certainly, um, you know, be a lot more uh, forthright in terms of what's in yep. their products, you know, whether it's bottled bacteria or something else, you know, I think there's uh, yeah. there's a lot of products out there in the marketplace that uh, I think could, you know, they could do a much better job in terms of uh, being more informative. Um, exactly. You know, you know, but here, here's an example. Now here, this bottle has no label on it, this liquid. If I tell you, if you drink this liquid, um, you, you probably will feel much better. No label. I'm not going to tell you what's in here. We will you drink it? I think the 99.9% with the same I think that's mentality. Uh, you, uh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. We will not touch it. Yeah. But why we buy this kind of bacterial product from manufacturers is that they don't even understand what's inside. They do not understand how this thing is going to interact with your reef. They just scoop them up and sell it to you and we even pay for it. That actually, a lot of product in this hobby is behave like this. I truly do not understand why people will pay money for something that is absolutely, yeah, it's just, just <laughs> don't know what's inside. I, so. I, yeah, I think uh, uh, data is a great thing to have to help support the viability of a product. And there is not yes. enough of that in this uh, industry. Absolutely agree with you. Um, Brinks128 is asking, what about using bacteria for cyano? I think, I think uh, Dong, you're not going to uh, advocate using bacteria for cyano. I, I personally have used them and I'm still using bacteria, you know, for, uh, to help control nutrients. So, you know, that's, that's something that I've found to, um, to definitely be a benefit for me. I took my um, Cato offline and I've been dosing bacteria instead. So it just seems um, to me easier to uh, control nutrients using uh, bacteria dosing. Um, you know, I have read, I've heard that uh, corals do consume certain types of bacteria. Do, yes, do, they, do they benefit from uh, mm -hmm. bacteria dosing in terms of that coral food? I have no freaking idea, you know. Um, I, you know, theoretically, <laughs> yeah, theoretically, maybe. I think, uh, you yeah. know, perhaps, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we definitely need more, um, you know, more, um, uh, research and information on that. Um, yeah. Hydrospace LLC. Yes. Thanks. Dong. Labeling is so important. We need much more transparency in the trade. 
Um, yes. A few um, more comments about the Fido or questions. Uh, James Scott, mm -hmm. does uh, Dong dose Fido automatically <laughs> or by hand? Are you using a doser uh, to by dose? Hand. By hand. Okay. By hand. Uh, um, go ahead. Because there's, the, I don't see the, uh, uh, there's a reason to use a doser to do it. Um, theoretically, yes, you can use a doser to do it uh, by linking it to a live culture. For example, that uh, if you uh, use a doser, well, here's the thing. So if you purchase phytoplankton in a bottle, so the, uh, normally you restore that bottle in the freezer, uh, in the refrigerator to keep it alive. If you want to take that bottle out and use automatic doser, you need to put an air tubing inside and bubbling air. Yeah, that's 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 a problem. It's a, it's a lot of yeah. headaches, and 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 I I I just haven't found the rationale to to do that because that another thing uh, just just me uh, thinking is if I dose uh, well I I, I drop a whole cup of uh, phyto there uh, at once. There's a high concentration of phyto in the tank at that moment, so that actually the, the, uh, will maximize the, the chance the coral actually grab them. So if you dose a meal uh, one hour, probably get too dilute. Yeah. Just just like you're feeding your 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 food, uh, you you mix it with water, your powder food. You want to dump it all in once, right in there, so that uh, then uh, there's more chance for the coral to reach them. Yep. Um a couple more questions are pretty similar questions. Reef the Sea Forever, how long does Fido last live? And then Planet 3D uh, is asking, how long does uh, Dong store his uh, Fido? Similar uh -huh. questions. <clears throat> so uh, approximately one month in the refrigerator. So, But that means that every day you have to open the cap and shake it a little bit mm. to get some air inside and cap it back. So uh, all my Fido, actually, uh, the, the, uh, the Fido... I dose that I actually always uh, uh, take the phyto from the live culture, not from the refrigerator. So I have several jugs bubbling. So, so uh, for the mature one, you open it and start feeding this, this jug uh, to the tank. And after I feed, I like, for example, from uh, I take 16 ounces to feed to the tank, and the rest of them I put it back under the, the, the air tubing. So all the phyto I'm feeding, they're they're actively bubbling. They're actively, they're alive. They, they do not go to the refrigerator. And um, uh, sometimes people come here to buy some phyto. I just take it from the culture and pour it right there. And I pour it into clean bottles. Yeah. Well, that, that. Well, you look green, then, <laughs> and, and, and I give it to people. <laughs> but here's an important thing, though. Um, you see that I, I got this bottle from uh, Costco, the Costco's distilled water. Uh, the reason for that is that uh, I use the distilled water, I pour it in the tank for auto top up. But I use a clean bottle uh, to put the phyto in there uh, for the customers. Because that, uh, that I make sure that it's not contaminated inside. Right. But if I drink from this bottle, this goes down to the Yeah, that's can. done. <laughs> too, much, too many bacteria in that uh, bottle. Yeah, so it has to be clean. So uh, that way, you put it in a refrigerator, and then you probably last, well, it will definitely last for one month. Man, these phyto the are very that, demanding. I'll tell you, boy. They, uh... Oh yeah, it is. Actually, the the way I know that they're alive is that after I store the phyto in a, in the refrigerator for one month, I take it out and use it as a culture. I tried that. I did that experiment. 
it's just alive as usual. Mm. The mature at the same time. So that means that that bottle sitting in a, in the refrigerator for one month actually is, is, is as good. They're alive. Otherwise, they won't be able to multiply. And they won't be able to multiply as quickly as the culture that always bubbling. Gotcha. Yep. So, um, Don, we're about an hour and forty-five minutes into this uh, this chat. We had a couple of other uh, we had a couple other big topics to uh, to talk about. I'm not yep. sure we're gonna uh, we're gonna get into those uh, those long uh, topics, but um, maybe uh, maybe just uh, uh, we got a couple of shorter topics. I think maybe uh, maybe we can end on on some of these uh, couple of questions. Uh, you know, one of my questions I thought was would be an interesting question for you is, um, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes people make? when keeping SPS? Or let's just say, um, mm -hmm. you know, corals in general. Uh, I think the first biggest mistake is to buy dirt cheap equipment. The equipments are not tested. But here what, we, uh, what I'm referring to is that the price of equipment in this hobby is not related, related to its quality. Nothing, no relationship. You can buy some very expensive stuff. You will work the same as the cheaper stuff. And then, uh, but some of the more expensive stuff, they're really garbage. So uh, the first thing to do is look at your equipment because your equipment is the most important thing because uh, those equipment are uh, sitting inside the tank with a power cord. Yeah. <laughs> Link it to them. So, <laughs> so I have seen so many tanks that are being fried by faulty equipments. So uh, that, that is the reason that do your research and make sure you buy the right equipment. If you have uh, money to spend, buy some fancier one. Um, um, and when you say nothing when, wrong with that. when you say fancier, I think um, let, let's. Um, I think you know it's important to point out that um, you're you're basically the assumption is that you're paying more money for something that's more high quality, right? That's that's well built and not that's, necessarily. Well, all right. Let me let me not finish. Exactly. I mean, you know, I think um, I think what I always try to do is invest in in quality and uh, brands that I know are reliable. I think that's mm -hmm. that's really important because, like what you said, you know, if you have a piece of equipment that craps out on you, that's that could be devastating for the tank. So um, I think investing in, in equipment that you know is reliable, and if it's pricier, then it's pricier. You know, and, some, and, and a lot of times yeah. that uh, that is the case. That uh, the reliable stuff, the well-built stuff, is going to be more expensive. Um, yes. You know, and I think that's um, that's important point to make is to it's, this is an investment that you're making in your animals. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my suggestions is actually I, I I do this as well is by um, putting. DC power pumps in your tank. Try to get rid of as much as AC power pumps. Basically, right now, all my reef tanks, they're mostly DC powered. Um, <clears throat> so there's only two AC power pumps are the two feed pump for my skimmer. Oh, it's not, not skimmer, feed pump for my calcium reactor. And those pumps are Yihan pump. Those mm. are the, the, the try and two. Yeah. That, that's a rock solid yeah. pump. So. If you have to put an AC power pump in your tank, buy a Yeheim. Seriously, I'm not related to them. I don't know who they are. You're not benefiting by, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, the only pump I use, the AC power pump, I buy Yeheim pump. So uh, for heater, that's another thing. Heater, there's no AC, uh, there's no DC heater. Unfortunately, it's all AC. Hmm. So what you want to do, what I do is I buy Yeheim heaters. 
sometimes that uh, the aqua on heater probably is okay. I have I test several of them. They're pretty reliable. So um, that that is the 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 buy a name brand heater, not something off Amazon Marketplace, not something come from eBay. Seriously, don't do that. <laughs> I've seen enough cases about this no name saying no name manufacturer. Uh, the heater can crap out. The pump leak. Yeah, that's tank, bad. That kind of thing. Buy anything equipment that has a reputable brand name. But matter of fact, Jbao is a pretty reputable brand name. Seriously, they're even knockoff of Jbao happening in China and eBay. <laughs> There's a fake Jbao product. <laughs> so uh, for uh, DC e equipment, uh, the Jbao's pump, uh, the Waymaker is is very reliable. Their return pumps are very reliable, and basically buy something that look at its reliability, and then. Uh, uh, then you buy something that you're comfort comfortable to your wallet. If you want something fancier, you want to brag about your return pump, and then your six thousand dollar whatever silver Rolls Royce return pump. Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, you can brag about it and buy those fancy stuff, but definitely can tell you that you won't make your SPS grow any better. But you have a piece of equipment. People say, oh, "What did you buy?" <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so um, equipment very important. Use as much. Uh, DC pump as possible. Uh, basically, uh, DC pump is available on Waymaker return pump, and they're inexpensive. Uh, they're not much more expensive. So basically, there's really no reason to use AC pump. I've seen so much trouble with AC pump. And also, one thing I want to point out is that I will never, ever, ever, ever buy uh, equipment from this company, supposed to be an Italian company with H at the, at the beginning. I see enough of this Coralia powerhead fry people's tank to catch on fire. I even see one in per on, on, on me. Uh, the, the, I used to use one in a salt bucket making salt. I see it start to bubble and fry. Gins, company gin, named Gins with an H? Yeah. So, and they sell some pretty cheap AC powerheads. So do not ever buy that. That I've seen so much trouble. And just locally. <laughs> so, um, all right. Besides uh, the equipment, what uh, what are you know in terms of buying shoddy equipment? What other uh, mistakes do you think um, people make when um, you know what do you what do you see as some of the bigger mistakes? Um, the, the lighting is very important. Um, so basically, that uh, saving money on lighting is not really the the best move. I I, I believe. So uh, I have seen cheap eBay lightings. So lighting actually has, has, has several aspects can affect your tank. One, the low quality lighting, it just doesn't provide you the right spectrum. Seriously, that's one thing. Second thing, they fell. And the third thing is that the, the, uh, basically you have no support. For example, that uh, if you're light, no matter how much you, you, you pay for that light, you have to call somebody in Hong Kong with 12 hour time zone difference, no, it doesn't work. And you have to ship your light back to over, over there to get it fixed. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work at all. And plus that lots of eBay company, after you bought it, they disappear. And then there's just, just nowhere to be found. Don't buy anything like that. And also one time I saw a Chinese manufacturer come to Reef Central or Reef to Reef and pretend to be a hobbyist and do this testing, compare their light to Radeon, AI, Castle, whatever thing, and making all this big fuss and uh, pretend to be some sort of uh, 
hobbyist. It turns out it's just themselves. It, so here's the thing is that no matter what kind of advertisement that they put out, always buy lighting from reputable brand. Yeah. And also the brand that you can get customer service, you can get support. But for a matter of fact that if your light burn out, you cannot wait more than uh, three to four days to get it fixed. Yeah, no. You better want it to fix right away. Yeah. For example, that uh, I'm a rebuilder dealer here. I, I have spare parts. So, uh, for example, that uh, uh, a customer has a ballast burnout yesterday. He texts me. 30 minutes later, he drove here. I give him a replacement ballast. So that is important is that uh, all this uh, downtime you have to consider. So before you uh, make any purchase of the lighting equipment and make sure that you'll be able to get customer service fa uh, uh, fast enough turnaround time so that your coral uh, won't stay in the dark. That's not good. Yeah. One day, okay. Two day, fine. Three day, iffy. Four day, uh, not very good. <laughs> no, not After good at one all. Week, Bye bye. Yeah. So yeah. That, that is the thing. Think about all these factors, customer service, and also always uh, have a backup of some sort. Yeah, I think uh, redundancy is really important. <clears throat> you know, I have it. Yeah. I have an extra skimmer just in case. You know, uh, skimmer pump goes. Um, I've got yep. I've got lighting that I could use in case a, a light goes. So uh, I also like to use two return pumps um, just in case. So yeah, I think redundancy is certainly important. Um, yeah. One last uh, comment, and I think we'll wrap it. It's a great one from Bert Minshew. Just want to go on record as saying my beliefs in this hobby is 99% the same as Dong's. He really learns his wisdom through being intelligent on what he learns and then believes through experience. That's a good, Thank you. I think that's Thank a you. good way to, uh, to sum it up, yeah. uh, Dong. Any, any, uh, uh, do, you, do you mind? I, I, I want to point out one thing. Yeah. So, uh, if you don't mind. So, uh, I watched one of your live stream. Uh oh. Just, Am I in uh, trouble? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, the one with Reef Lab. Yes. I would recommend people to go watch it. I found that live stream is really beneficial. You're talking uh, about well, Gene from Reef Labs. Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, for the ICB testing. Yes. It, he got a lot of information out of that, and he, he's uh, right on point for a lot of things. So I highly recommend people to go back. If you haven't watched the episode, go back and watch it. And then uh, it's really helpful. So um, that is one thing I want to say, is that that is, is definitely is a must-watch episode if you're thinking about doing ICP tests. And if you're thinking about doing ICP tests guided dosing, Right. So if you ever want to do that, go go to uh, watch the episode and, and, and understand what the limitation, what's the advantage, how to probably probably uh, use the the technology we have. Quick uh, yes or no question for you, and then uh, maybe we can cover it the next time you're on. Do you uh, specifically yep. dose traces um, based on ICP ah. test results? Yes or no? <laughs> First of all, I don't do ICP tests anymore. Okay. I was saying, I yep. Because they're they're not reliable, one thing, and that's why I want people. I recommend people to go back and watch that live stream. So, uh, I, the uh, one important point is that to in order to get accurate data for your ICP testing, you're probably looking at five hundred dollars. That's the that's what Gene said. That's absolutely true. And think about that. You pay fifty bucks for your ICP testing. And minus all the shipping, labor, everything yeah. costs, how much actually is put into this ICP test? And what kind of result do you expect? 
So basically, this uh, cheap ICB test cannot differentiate between the dog ball and the <laughs> apple. So now you tell me you do not have apple, and then then the, the, the thing is that, for matter of fact, you, your dog is lacking the toy. So that is the thing, is that cheap stuff, inexpensive, not properly done stuff, I'm not going to give you guidance. But on the other hand, if you have, uh, let's say, one of your power head malfunction, and you're leaking copper in your tank, yes, that $50 ICP test can tell you that. Yeah. That can save your day. Yeah. That's how you should use it. So use the regular ICP test as a safeguard or uh, for screening for some big events, right. but not use it uh, for guide your, guiding your dosing. Basically, you cannot tell a dog ball from an apple. And then when you grab the apple, you grab your ball. Here. That's what it is. That's how I look at it. So no ICB testing for me, and until that that the Reef Lab can come up with a affordable but also more accurate ICB test. Yes, I'm all for it. So that that's my my take of it. And for those in Trace Element, no, <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, and that's that's something we can certainly get into. Uh, you know, the next time we have you on, Dong. I know. Um, you know. Go ahead. Yeah, but uh, dosing potassium, potassium is not a trace element. That is critical for your color color. That is something that um, um, uh, we, we probably skip on that part is that potassium is important. That is responsible for loss of your pink and purple color. And you're normally the potassium level in the seawater is 400. You can jump bump it up to 500, 600, no problem. For matter of fact, some people run it at 800. There's really not much downside for it. Mm, but lacking potassium, and definitely we can reduce your coral color. And all the alkalinity, calcium, magnesium, they're not trace elements. And even right. iron is really not that considered as a trace element, seriously, the way you dose into it. But if you're not running refugium, forget about iron. You, 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 you probably don't need it. Right, because the macros um, sucking that are iron right up. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And dosing iodine. Iodine is not a trace element, seriously, for the amount that put into it, for the amount that coral and L, uh, sponge and algae, whatever, that consuming it. This is not a trace element. So potassium iodine is not a trace element. And that is something I dose. But uh, something like chromium, Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dong, man. With that, uh, with that note, I guess we'll wrap it up. Hey, thank you so much, Dong, for uh, for stepping in last minute and and, and pitch hitting and uh, doing us a solid here, gracing uh, you know gracing the uh, the live stream again. This was a lot of fun, and I look forward to having you back on. The uh, the viewers just uh, are are eating this stuff up. <laughs> Love you, and uh, you know. So, folks, if you're in the uh, the Boston area, you should definitely uh, check out uh, Dong's place. He has got some grade A stuff. He is uh, he grows the shit out of uh, SPS. Pardon my uh, French, <laughs> but uh, he, it really is the the, the case. Um, how, how can they uh, how can they find you, Dong? Uh, actually, on Boston River, and that. Uh, um join the Boston Reefer or you can browse the website, go to the sponsor form and uh, look for the Aqua Garden. And I highly recommend people that uh, join Boston Reefer so you can private message me. And actually my phone number is on the form. You can text or call me. For matter of fact, after the live stream last time and uh, uh, many people contacted me via the phone, phone number because I'm not going to give the phone number Yeah, here, you're not going to do that over there. You can always go to Boston Reefer website 
look for the Aqua Garden sponsor form and look at my posts. And there's a, uh, on each post, there's a phone number on it and contact information, an email. They're all available there. And, and you ship, right? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. The shipping is a little bit tricky. So. <laughs> it ain't easy. I'll tell you that much. I can tell you from personal experience. It's not, uh, it's yeah. not always uh, you know, a smooth uh, transaction there. But these days, it's a little hairy. But uh, that's, yeah. that's for a whole other topic. So uh, anyway, yeah, the reliability of carrier is not there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anyway, Don, thank you again very much for being on the live stream. And uh, I also want to thank both Bulk Resupply and Ecotech Marine for being sponsors of this live stream and supporting the show. And I also want to thank all you folks that have been uh, tuning in and participating or just watching. Thank you very much. And uh, finally, big, thank you. big thank you to Paul, our moderator, as a uh, as uh, always, and uh, I also want to let you know that all episodes of Rapping with Reef Bomb are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Rapping with Reef Bomb live stream will be on Thursday, October 13th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Jordan Noah and Donna Emmett from ORA. So that should be another great show. If you want to yep. check out the full upcoming schedule of guests on Reef Bomb, you can um, visit reefbum.com, and uh, that will be under the YouTube section. So until then, be safe, be well, and we will see you next time. Thank you very much.